You're listening to an irreverent podcast. For more unholy content from our friends, head to irreverent.fm. Hey friends, welcome back to the Speaking in Church podcast. I'm Josie, and once again, Spencer is on maternity leave, but that's okay, we still love her. Uh, Today, we are joined by our new friend, Bethany, a fellow APU victim. (laughs) And she does, currently does learning and development for a charity that will remain unnamed because we don't like cancelers or whatever. I mean, Bethany, you seem very nice. I don't think you'll get canceled, but it's still a... I do do HR, so I I work with the right people. Okay, great. (laughs) Jury's still out on me. We'll see what... (laughs) I might get canceled one day. And I don't care. Anyways, uh, Bethany, you've listened to a few episodes, so you know that we start off the uh, podcast by asking you to tell us your testimony. So tell us all about you and what we'll be talking about today. Lovely T word that makes every deconstructor cringe. We all cringe. (laughs) Yes. Um, Yeah, so I was raised in a church. the church, it was a branch of a church based out of Northern California that has a very popular music scene um, that should also remain nameless. <laughs> wow, but we totally don't know who you're talking about. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, and yeah, because it was a evangelical church, name it, claim it, you know, the Holy Spirit is everywhere kind of church. Um, it was... The word I would use to describe it was almost competitive, which um, I know not everyone would have this perspective, but for me as a child, um, experiencing worship sets where people would be overcome with holy laughter and then watching everyone else around them like fall to the ground with holy laughter, it was like, oh, if I don't get holy laughter, I'm obviously not holy enough. (laughs) Yeah, competitive, I guess, would be the right word. Damn. (laughs) And so there was always this feeling of being lesser than because I didn't necessarily experience the church the way other people appeared to be experiencing the church. Um, And especially, too, because I, I had a disability, like a physical disability, that I was constantly picked on to be prayed for. Um. I don't know if you have experience of guest speakers coming to the church and saying, oh, I'm feeling the Lord you know, calling me to pray for this person. And then you have to go in front of the entire yeah. congregation and then they put you in a chair and watch to see if your leg grows out in front of everybody else. Oh, um, <laughs> yeah. I know that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, there's just this constant feeling of not being worthy and also to experiencing depression and when you're in a church where the constant messaging is we show god's love through our happiness Mm. um they would use the word joy but what they referenced were actually referencing was happiness and that god gives us joy if we want other people to experience god they're going to know through our joy but joy is a lot more deep than than happiness and the kind Mm. of joy that they would express or show seemed more fleeting to me um and 
I didn't feel like I embodied that. And mm. I just kept saying, like, well, then why do I have depression? Like, if God gives you joy, why do I have depression? Um, so, yeah, never really had a, never felt necessarily welcomed or accepted into the church. Um, but, yeah, and then it kind of starts leading into to my, my testimony and my story and with my experience around porn and, and purity culture. Um, if you want me to get into that or I can jump to where I'm at now with my faith. <laughs> I'm... I, I mean, on our season premiere episode, I said that I wanted to talk more about porn, so please tell me more about porn. <laughs> yes. I can talk a lot about porn. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so teenage years were rough. Um, it, the, due to, I was at a church camp when I was a young teen um, when two kids drowned, and I had massive survivor's guilt. I thought, why did God take these two boys and I have depression and I'm not holy enough. So I should have been the one to wait. How did they drown? Oh my God. It was a, it was really tragic. Actually. We were, um, it was at a water park and Oh my God. Like one of them started drowning and then the other one jumped in to try and save them. And yeah. Still don't know the full details and oh. wanted to look into it. Just no. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, survivor's guilt is, like, very real. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so when I felt the church was telling me I wasn't good enough, I felt that I should have been taken. And so that led to some more um, serious behaviors related to mental health problems, um, such as, you know, drinking and, um, I guess, content warning <laughs> should I provide <laughs> of... Um, uh, suicidal thoughts and stuff yeah just feeling like i shouldn't have been there um so obviously i was searching for meaning and purpose as a teenager um and when i was 17 16 17 my very first exposure to anything remotely porn pornographic um was some, was some friends gifting me the 50 shades of gray books oh what a gift um, yeah i know right i think it was like a prank joke um mm. and i would took them home with me and i hid them in my closet and i read them read them under my bed every night not in a like porn like this is so exciting getting me off kind of way but like oh so this is my purpose as a woman is to satisfy mm. a man um a fucked up, you know, mentally unhealthy, unstable man who needs to take care of his previous trauma. Mm. Uh, <laughs> mm -hmm. But it gave me clarity on like what my role was. And so that opened the door to me being a bit more seeking out experiences I hadn't had before. Um, so I wasn't taught about sex growing up. Um, the church was just, you know, all about wait till marriage, especially you, woman. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I knew absolutely nothing. So Fifty Shades was like my first exposure um, to everything. And so I started hanging out with people who I knew had easy access to stuff like weed and alcohol and, you know, were a bit more willing to engage in activities. Um, and... I found it initially very empowering, like to use my body for something and to feel like I had a purpose. Oh, like I'm giving 
men pleasure. This mm. is very exciting. Like I found my place in the world kind of thing. Um, but it wasn't long before and I started becoming like more flirtatious and stuff and felt more confident. Um, but it wasn't long before I was actually uh ironically on a missions trip. Um <laughs> and uh <laughs> a man, an adult man, and I was 17, um, started responding to my friendly behavior um, and started doing things to me that I wasn't comfortable with. Mm. And I just remember being absolutely terrified. Like, this was the first time it had kind of caught up with me, um, where I was like, oh, I don't like this. And so I just, it was, it was, um, in a Spanish speaking country. And so I just kept saying, Puedo, Puedo, like, no Puedo, no Puedo, sorry, mm. no, Puedo, no Puedo, no Puedo. Um, cause that was all I really knew in Spanish was just the basics. Um, and then, yes, yeah, so that was really unsettling, especially because this was somebody who worked for this organization, Christian organization, mm. um, where we did the mission work. Um, and I finally decided to tell somebody when I got back. It took a few weeks. Um, and I found out through telling them, they kind of told the organization, found out he was a married man with children. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, preying on a teenage girl. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, they fired him and everything and um, took care of that. But I, for me, like what had just you know, weeks earlier have been very empowering, all of a sudden became like, this is an obligation and a duty and I don't actually have any power in this. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, my relationship with sex was quite unhealthy for the next few years. Um, and then I went to Azusa Pacific. you. Um And definitely didn't want to be there. Um, I actually left high school early to do a um another classic christian thing ywam <laughs> youth with a marriage <laughs> yeah um yeah so i did a uh, six months of that um and that was really i really liked the traveling part of it like that was mm. really exciting for me went to some really cool places um and so i didn't want to go to school i was like oh this is overrated. Like if I can do cool things and like travel and have fun without a degree, why do I need to go get one? My parents thinking that it was the best for me at the time said, well, no, APU's offered you a good scholarship. You need to go. Um, so I went not very willingly mm -hmm. and it was the first week and I was quickly, my mom actually pointed him out. There was a guy there who, looked like the stereotype of a like a bad boy mm. um, and she's like oh bethany he looks like your type <laughs> oh my god mom yeah um and so i we quickly i was yeah very much took the lead on this one and, and started hanging out with him and befriended him he was a pastor's kid mm. yes. they're always the worst <laughs> And um, this is where, yeah, porn kind of came back into my life, um, not willingly, um, but 
once we kind of felt like things were going somewhere, I told him, look, I'm kind of recovering from this trauma related to a missions trip. So like, I got to be patient with me when it comes to like physical stuff. It, it was the kind of, I don't know if you remember, but like the culture was, let's like share all of our flaws right from the beginning. Of the oh season. yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Looking back now, I'm like, that's so embarrassing. <laughs> I know. Cause then there's just all these people walking around with all this information about you. <laughs> I know. I know. Um, yeah. Like I would never say those kinds of things on a first date now, mm. <laughs> or even like within a few months of friendship. But, um, yeah, my brain wasn't fully developed. And also, Oh yeah. I'll talk about the brain and pornography and religion in a bit, but uh, <laughs> mm. the, the science behind it is very fascinating. But, um, he yeah so he shared with me very vulnerably that he was recovering from a porn addiction and so i was like okay fine i shared something vulnerable you shared something vulnerable let's do it kind of thing um and what i didn't learn for a few months was that his definition of recovering was not not recovering. Not recovering. Um, he was still actively engaging with it. And when I found out, I said, I'm sorry, I can't do this. I told him I was going to break up with him. And he said, okay, like, please, please, please forgive me. It was very, from the beginning, we were both very emotionally unhealthy. Mm. And it was very codependent. And so I was like, oh, fine, I forgive you. You promised to stop and go, go see a counselor. <laughs> um, and... <sighs> It's hard to like pinpoint when things started to turn. I can say from the beginning it was very, you know, like I said, emotionally immature, emotionally unhealthy. But he then knew he couldn't watch, well, in his head, he couldn't watch porn because he said he wouldn't. Mm -hmm. However, his brain was still wired to need those sensations. Like he mm -hmm. was addicted. Um, and so, the only other place he felt he could get those sensations was through me mm -hmm. and me being somebody who likes to be you know sexually liberated but also is recovering from a traumatic experience mm -hmm. um and so yeah it started turning quite manipulative where you know he would say things I basically, for a few years after that relationship, I thought blue balls was something that was like life-threateningly bad. Oh my gosh, don't even get me started on blue balls. I don't care what men say. Shut the fuck yeah. up. Oh no, your tummy like, hurts. <laughs> yeah, I know. He'd be like acting like he was dying. Like, if he like made out or something, and then he would act like he was dying and say, "Oh, you know, I'm not going to be able to drive home now. I'm not going to be able to drive home." Yeah, and so <laughs> I then because like. My biggest value as an adult now is hospitality. It didn't always manifest itself healthily. Yeah. <laughs> I felt the need to take care of people. Mm -hmm. And so seeing him in that much pain, I felt I needed to do it. And so there were times, yeah, there were plenty of times when it was consensual and I enjoyed it. But then there were just as many times where it was manipulated. Mm. And yeah, it, it gets, I then ended up starting to lose weight. Um, and 
I didn't actually notice I was losing weight until people started commenting like, oh, Bethany, have you lost weight? You look really good. Oh, um, you look really good. Yep. Fuck. <laughs> um, and then I realized that he would make comments about my clothes. He would say, oh, that's too revealing. Or he really hated like high-waisted trousers. Like he just would start controlling my clothes. But then it was also like he was controlling my body, like when it came to the physical stuff. Mm. And so I didn't realize, but the weight loss was like, I can't control. I feel like I can't control other parts of my life, but I can control my food intake. Mm. Um, and so it was kind of just like a natural trauma response. Um, but I lost enough weight where I ended up having to be admitted into a clinic. Um, oh my gosh. And we would, I would take my boyfriend to sessions with my therapist where she would explain to him that Bethany has PTSD. When you go beyond a certain point physically, she dissociates. So he knew that. And yet I would still find myself in situations where they actually became quite threatening. Um, mm. There was, you know, how much am I allowed to say with <laughs> You can say whatever you want on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, there was one night where we were driving. Um, it was a long car journey, and he said he was falling asleep. And I said, let's pull over and get you a coffee or an energy drink. And he said, no, that won't work. And I said, well, then let me drive. And he said, no, you're too sick to drive. This is always the excuse. You're too sick to do this. You're too sick to do that. Um, as if I have no, you know, power. <laughs> yeah. um, how, well, then fine. Let's pull over and you can take a nap. So no, no. And I'm like, then what are we going to do? Like, if you're going to fall asleep at the wheel, he said, well, the only thing that's going to keep me awake is if you dot, dot, dot. Mm. And I said, well, what if I don't want to do dot, dot, dot? And essentially threatened to crash the car and... So mm -mm -mm. that was the first moment I felt like scared of him. <laughs> um, and yeah, it just got unhealthier from there. Lots of, um, yeah, scary situations where there was no consent involved. Um, and then it all, oh, I forgot to mention, in the meantime, we got engaged. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Bethany. I know, I know, because uh, ring by spring or whatever. Yep. Um, yeah, it was. But also, how old were you? I was, at the time, I was 20. So, mm, I know. That, you know, too, really makes it weird, huh? Well, it's because he wanted to wait until marriage. Um, mm. And I obviously hadn't waited till marriage however i didn't like the the form that sexual activities like it's its existence in our relationship it was so mm. unhealthy to me that i would have rather had like consensual enjoyable sex than be manipulated into doing acts that didn't quite take his virginity <laughs> yeah um, quote unquote virginity like yeah yeah. And so I was like, yes, please, let's get married. So like I can be, I thought that was the answer. Yeah. To me breaking up for some reason <laughs> wasn't an option. And so I was mm -hmm. like, yes, let's just get married so we can do things like normal people. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I actually, and also too, like my dream was to be a wedding planner. And so oh, I allowed yeah. that like fantasy to, to carry me through mm -hmm. and, you know, got excited about it, got a dress, planned everything. 
Um, but yeah, shit hit the fan. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so a little over five years ago now, um, when, yeah, he had just gotten really, really unhealthy and was really, really struggling. Um, I just remember looking at his eyes and like they were dark. <sighs> it just seemed like he like lost his soul. But um, yeah, I took him, he went to a family friend to stay with a family friend. Um, and the family friend was the first person in the year and a half relationship to come up to me and say, Bethany, I don't like the way he treats you. Mm. Because to everybody else, he was this pastor's kid. He has a great family. I absolutely adored his family. They were so sweet. Um, in high school, he was, you know, he was the captain of the soccer team, the basketball team. Um, and when we met, he was very popular. He started to cast his friends away as we were in a relationship. They blamed me, of course. Of course. <laughs> um, they thought it was my fault that he, they, he wasn't hanging out with them anymore. And I'm like, please take him. <laughs> please hang out with this. this time with Somebody is going to have to tell this guy he's being a real asshole, all right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but this woman, this family friend, gave me permission to view our relationship from a different perspective rather than I'm stuck and this is my only life. Mm. I was like, oh wait, I don't have to stay with him. Um, and I do think it was a large, the church's involvement in like him being a pastor's kid and me feeling the need to have a place and have a duty and a role kind of thing was very much what was keeping me in the relationship. Um, but yeah, so I started questioning things. I told him I wanted to postpone our wedding. And he said, if you can't promise to stay with me the rest of your life, then I don't want to be with you at all. And so he gave me an ultimatum and the day came and I said, I can't promise I'm going to want to be with you the rest of your life. And so we ended things there. Um, and yeah, so I won't go. What happened next was basically... Um, it was very upsetting for me to have to see him around campus. We were in all the same classes. Um, and I just found I couldn't focus. Um, and so I spoke to campus pastors about what I could do. You know, can I change classes, something like that. They told me to speak to the Title IX officer. And she was the one who suggested launching an investigation. Mm. And that was, yeah, that was really distressing for me. Um, that wrecked me because I think I still loved him. <laughs> Obviously, you can't just like. But yeah. at the time, okay, what I, what I thought love was. Right. I now come back, like looking back now, I'm like that wasn't love at all. Mm -hmm. Um, so I don't really count him on my. Not that I tally the number of people I love in my life. <laughs> right. <laughs> but <laughs> I I don't think that counts as like real love, um, healthy love. So yeah, ended up being really distressing and. I mentioned to you before how I dropped out after two years. Um, that was big. That was why I dropped out. Um, and yeah, so I then moved to London to get as far away as possible from him <laughs> and from my life there. I just wanted a fresh start. I think being in this entirely Christian environment in a Christian relationship that was mm. so unhealthy, like was just suffocating. And so I needed a fresh start. Um, and yeah, I want to talk more about like porn in the church. So mm. like, well, don't need to go into, you know, the five years post relationship. Um, I will say it was definitely 
a curve of rebelling, doing everything that I, you know, never thought I could do, but I did done way too many things I shouldn't have done, but I needed that time to like go crazy to mm-hmm. rediscover myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and then started finding out, oh, actually like women can have pleasure and there are ways to healthily navigate that. And you mm-hmm. don't just need to do crazy shit to, you know, just because you want to be crazy. Um, and yeah, so started seeking help, um, started going back to therapy. Um, and that was all just so, so healing. Also taking a break from the church. Like mm, <laughs> that was like a mm-hmm, huge thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so yeah, that was really, really necessary. And it wasn't until I actually, like, I think, I don't know, maybe a couple of years after taking a break, I reread the entire Bible. Um, just because I wanted to experience it from a different lens. Mm-hmm. I, I think I kind of wanted to prove to myself that it was all a bit of, you know, BS. <laughs> like I wanted, I thought I was brainwashed and like wanted to convince myself that, you know, I don't need to believe this thing anymore. Mm-hmm. But it was through reading the Bible where I was like, wait a second, the people who taught this to me have taught it wrong. Like Jesus mm. was badass. Like he was so cool. Like, the woman at the well would be like my girl. Like mm. <laughs> he was hanging out with all these people who I was like, actually, this is so dope. Um, and so through that, I ended up, you know, finding faith again and knew where to look to find the kind of people who would affirm that, that faith rather than try and push their own onto me. Um, so yeah, it's been a really good journey. Um, I mentioned I'm back in the States now. I missed the sunshine, <laughs> which London sorely lacks. Um, mm. <laughs> I do, I do miss London. I had a really great community there. Um, but yeah, but it's just been interesting, um, just encountering different people and hearing their perspectives on porn mm. um, over the years. I've changed my perspective on it, um, but I've also like looked into and studied the psychology behind you know pornography in the adolescent brain Um, oh yeah yeah so i'd love to hear your perspective on it yeah (laughs) um yeah so what's interesting i think the difference between you know an adolescent brain and an adult brain is the neuroplasticity or the way my therapist would describe it is paths through the forest (laughs) Mm, mm -hmm. which i love because i'm a a visual thinker um so the adolescent brain is wired by excitement so you often think about teenagers not really thinking about consequences like adults think of teenagers as they didn't think of you know what could go wrong but that's because their brain is wired to seek out like reward and satisfaction and sensory experiences um and so looking back, I have so much, I don't want this to sound wrong. I have so much compassion for my mm. ex mm-hmm. because I'm sad that his brain as a child experienced something that his brain wasn't meant to see. And yeah. He started, was exposed too young. Yeah. And it started forming these pathways. His nerves started connecting and, you know, the, path through the forest 
for his brain to think that the only way, you know, like his life depended on getting stimulated Mm -hmm. by, you know, sexual acts. I remember him telling me that you build up a tolerance where you start with like the safe porn and then then you get real deep. Yeah. (laughs) And then you have to start digging deeper and deeper for the more ill things. More taboo. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, And so, yeah, uh, looking back, I know that, you know, we both were responsible for various unhealthy aspects of the relationship. I'm not, excusing him entirely but when you are a pastor's kid and you are raised your whole life telling you that these are rules that will get you into heaven and Mm. you must live up to this standard because your life is a example for others because your father is leading the church kind of thing um your brain is going to associate reward of oh you're captain of the soccer team. Oh, hey, you're so holy. You're the pastor's kid. And oh, you're good looking. You know, girls mm. like you kind of thing. Um, that's going to be very satisfying and that's going to stimulate you. But then you add on porn, which is forming, you know, similar pathways. And then your entire ego is... <laughs> is so messed up and you're not even 18. <laughs> I know. Um, and so, yeah, I do have, I feel sad that like he was exposed to that and that, I mean, I, I, I haven't obviously spoken to him and I don't want to. <laughs> right. Um, but I do hope that like our relationship was an example for him, made him realize like just how damaging it was because yeah, your brain is from age 11, basically, you're forming these pathways through the forest, you're forming these um, ways to navigate life. Up until you develop your brain becomes an adult brain. And so if you're solidifying these pathways that tell you that, you know, watching a explicit, sorry, this this sounds explicit, but watching a pregnant woman getting gang raped is what jerks you off, like is what satisfies you. You can take that out. <laughs> no, I mean, people know, right? It's just like... Yeah. I just can't... Sometimes I can't really, like, understand what people are into. I'm like... I mean, yeah. I understand, like, group sex with a pregnant woman, right? Like, that's... Sure, if you're into that. But, the whole, like, I don't understand the rape fantasy. I just don't. I'm sorry, I, don't. I, I know, I know. But I'm not sorry. <laughs> how I'm talking to these guys is they never start that way. Right. However, of course like, not. Yeah. So... W- I've had to navigate my own paths through the forest and that's Mm -hmm. habitual ways of thinking. So for me, it was the not being worthy that started as a child with, you know, the church and having depression and a disability. I'm not worthy. And so whenever something happened um, in life, you know, let's say I didn't pass a test or let's say somebody ghosted me or something like that, I would resort, start going down that path again. Oh, I'm not worthy. And so that was habit and that was natural. And for me to think otherwise and think in a more healthy direction, I would have to cut through the brambles, cut through the bushes, cut through the forest. And that was difficult. It's very difficult to do on your own, especially Mm. when you don't have the tools. You don't have anything to cut things down with. Mm -hmm. And so for a young boy to 
have his paths start getting into more and more like seriously explicit things and very vulgar ways of viewing women and that is then you know the path that to pleasure like by the time you're an adult like that's so unhealthy and so you know i've talked to men who have had porn addictions and they you know they all say the same thing the way they view women is just completely different Mm. um i also i recently had to stop seeing somebody i only went on two dates with him on the second date he asked like what why my ex and i split up and i said well long story short he had a porn addiction and couldn't get it sorted and he said well aren't we all addicted to porn and i was like Red flag, red flag. Red yeah, flag. It sounds like you're addicted to porn, homie. <laughs> yeah. And I think people, the word addicted is thrown around so much. Like, oh, I'm addicted to hummus. Yeah. <laughs> God. Like, it's one of those words. Like, I, I do call people out when they say things like, oh, it's my ADHD, stuff like that. And I'm like, by you using that without a diagnosis, you're devaluing the experience of those who actually have been diagnosed. Mm-hmm. So by people using the word addicted for things that their brain actually isn't addicted to, it devalues the experiences of those who are. Yeah. And so as somebody who had solidified a pathway and had to have therapy and lots of therapy in order to learn how to navigate elsewhere, I now like sympathize so much for those who do have addictions because I know how hard it is. And when your brain neurologically, like all of the chemicals, dopamine, you're being fueled by dopamine. And when the dopamine only comes, if you're viewing very explicit images of women, like that is, that's so difficult to change. Mm-hmm. You're forming your brain in, in such a way that it's going to take so much work to, to unchange. Um, I'm not saying what they're doing is okay at all. Right. It's not, it's unhealthy they shouldn't be in relationships with women right (laughs) um they should get but i'm saying when they get help like i can sympathize that it takes a lot of work and so yeah yeah, that's why i for years i think i thought i would never be able to forgive my ex um and the thought of it was just really yeah i couldn't do it and i knew it was holding me captive more so than it would Mm. be if i like had forgiven him but it wasn't until like my therapist explained neuroplasticity and the way your brain forms those pathways that I started to realize, oh, like if I have my own ways of thinking that have been formed since I was a child, influenced by things like religion, um, I can understand (laughs) how difficult it is for people to overcome mm. addictions and so that's when i finally got to a place where i was like okay i can can forgive him um i don't want to see him again <laughs> obviously <laughs> don't want to speak to him again but i can forgive him and that's actually setting me free um so yeah <laughs> no i totally resonate with what you're saying because there's this like weirdness to you can understand why somebody's abusive and you can empathize with why they are the way they are. But again, it does not excuse the behavior. And it's like a fine balance of knowing your worth, but also knowing that, you know, 
It's like, you know why Jeffrey Dahmer was a fucking psychopath. Like, you know that his childhood was traumatic, but there's plenty of traumatized kids that don't eat people. (laughs) Yeah. It's a a matter of taking responsibility for yourself. I think, oh, so this is another thing about church. (laughs) Yes. So, um, yeah, when I say taking responsibility, I've met so many Christians who just don't understand that you have control over your mind. That, like, you are at the wheel yep. jesus take the wheel it's not like <laughs> jesus give me a hand <laughs> yeah yeah but please you you gotta take your own wheel yeah um, that's why so many people don't take responsibility it's like they think they can pray it away like, or it's the enemy away. it's the devil yeah yeah exactly and they think you know oh if we just keep praying it's going to disappear and it's like no, god created our brains and our brains allow us to think so god allows us to think Mm-hmm. And that gives us power and control over our mind. And if we don't take responsibility for it, then that's just like, you're going to hurt so many people. You're living in sin and you're also not honoring what God gave you. And so, yeah, yeah I think the difference if I like, when I, when I talk about this is I just want, I hope people can realize that when they have like these addictions and when they, you know, have even been horribly abusive, have done horrible things to women, like recognizing that they are in control of their brain ultimately, and they need to take responsibility for those things. And that, but there is a scientific reason why their brain is the way they, it is. Mm-hmm. I think like uh, criminal psychology is incredibly fascinating. Like looking oh, into, yeah. like you said, you know, why these, these criminals act the, the way they do or sorry, why these people committing crimes act the way they do. <laughs> I don't want yeah. to generalize. I don't like saying like criminals because oftentimes our criminal justice system is so twisted that people end up behind bars when yeah. they shouldn't be. Um, but yeah, I think there's so much power in taking responsibility over your brain and that there is neuroplasticity is a thing mm-hmm. and that there are these pathways. However, like any forest, I mean, unless the trees are made of metal or something well even then like there is a way through it and so yeah yeah. like in the case of jeffrey dahmer like his and other people to that extreme right like their whole forest was burned down like there's no nothing left to wade through right you're just in a chasm and void and you can choose to take that void and do crazy shit or you can start planting the trees you can start the growth process again. You can make a better life for yourself. You don't have to turn into a murderous cannibal because you had yeah. some trauma in your life, right? No matter how deep it runs. Um, and even like with porn, I I have a really hard time with being sex positive and porn positive, right? In the sense that I'm all for ethical porn, get your jollies however you want. I get it. You know, you read your Danielle Steele books and get off, whatever, whatever, whatever. But I really don't like this notion of like my partner is on Reddit, right? And if you're on like the the normal page that everybody sees, like it's a top news or whatever on Reddit, porn just comes up. It just comes up. I don't like that, like this desensitization to it, because then it makes people think that porn is so normal that it's fine for anybody to view it. It's fine in all instances. And it's just not right. Like if you have trouble respecting women already, even as an adult, you probably shouldn't be watching porn. Like you should probably be healing that disrespect that you have within yourself 
before you engage in these videos that are disrespectful to women mm-hmm. because like when i if i watch porn i'm not a big porn person but if i watch porn and they're disrespecting women i can like i have the cognitive power to fast forward until you get to the part where it's just the sex or whatever yeah and that's fine but i mean i should watch ethical porn is what i should do but anyways <laughs> i'm it's expensive um but lots of people don't have that mental wherewithal to skip forward. So they like they watch these things and they engage in these things that only solidify this disrespect and this like cycle of women are just objects mm-hmm. or whatever, whatever. I mean, it's why a lot of women I, that I know only watch gay porn, even if they're not gay. Mm-hmm. They just they can only engage in gay porn because yeah, whether it's men on men or women on women, there's less disrespect on average it's the power dynamic (laughs) right something less threatening and because even if there's power play involved it's pretty consent it's pretty visibly consensual yeah exactly and i think you know like what you're saying about kind of it popping up and being everywhere this is why i so many thoughts on on, this all interplays with the patriarchy and Mm. the way you know lack of women in leadership but when a woman, I have so many friends who have gone to the police after being assaulted, and they ask about what they're wearing. What and, were you doing? Were you drinking? Were you out yeah. late at night? And I was reading recently the story of a woman who was attacked, and she was told, like, well, your Instagram photos look provocative, so, you know, that's going to influence the jury. And it's because of the way women are, you know, men were sexualized mm-hmm. so casually mm-hmm. um, that, yeah, it's kind of infuriating. Like I posted a bikini photo and it like, <laughs> and uh, like my mom and I have talked this through now, so it's fine. But I want to be like, no mom, like my body is beautiful. Like if I want to show it off, like I should show it off. It doesn't mean I'm any less professional. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but it's just the fact that like you said, between ethical porn and non-ethical porn, when things are just casually thrown at you, how do you know if it was ethically produced? Right. How do you know the intentions? Like for me, I'm all for ethical porn. Yeah. I'm all for vibrators. I'm all for women discovering their sexuality and what, how to please themselves because we've been denied that. Mm-hmm. Um, and we still are regularly denied that. Like guys just don't really know how to work of the janitor. <laughs> don't even get me started they don't even know where the clitoris is i mean I, I, it's like my bro like we've been talking about this in media for a long time like get with the fucking program dude like you have very little excuse now <laughs> yeah yeah i had I to can't. break the news to a guy once that most women fake orgasms like with penetrative sex yeah and he didn't believe me he's like nobody fakes it with me like that's just not true and i was like honey, just Google it. Like everybody knows this. And he didn't know. And he got so angry at me. He's like, no, they don't do it with me. And I was like, well, how would you know? Cause they're faking it. Yeah. And I know I was being a bit aggressive and, and not being very nice, but like, I mean, it sounds like it doesn't deserve for you to be fucking nice. <laughs> I just like, I continue to have conversations with men where they aren't fully aware. They don't know where their porn comes from. Mm. They don't realize that many women are trafficked into yep. porn. Um, I, yeah, online sexual exploitation of children. You don't always know how old the people are. Mm-hmm. Um, I think just because 
like I said, the dopamine in the brain, as soon as you see a picture or an image, and because like you said, it just appears at the top of Reddit, you're immediately stimulated. You aren't, you don't have the self-control anymore to go searching. Where did this image come from? And who made this? Was it made by women for women? (laughs) Yeah. Um, You know, was, was there consent? You know, is Mm -hmm. this woman a minor kind of thing? You don't because the dopamine immediately kicks off and you get that rush and all you can think about is your own pleasure. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, so many men, they haven't even thought to to think about these things that I, you know, I think as women, we think about it a bit more. Yeah. Um, And so I just wish people talked about it more so that guys could start to understand why their brain is wired the way it is. Yeah. You know, why am I immediately stimulated? Is there a way I can not have the immediate stimulation or hold off until I find a site that is ethical rather than just, you know, coming right away? Um, Because also, if you're constantly viewing these images, and you're just allowing yourself free reign, you're going to perpetuate those same cycles in person, and you're going to start viewing every woman as a sexual object. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, yeah, I, I just, I can't even, you know, well, back when I was living in London, I had to think about what time of day I walked out, like walked outside Mm -hmm. by myself, think about what I was wearing, I would try and walk with like a more manly gait when it was nighttime, and it was alone. Mm -hmm. Pepper spray is illegal there, but I still I snuck it is that's interesting. I snuck mine over from the States though. So, uh, huh, I, London, I, I don't agree, London. I'm going to say I that. Know, I know, I know. Um, yeah. And so when I talk to girls, they're like, oh, we're just told to like hold our keys between our fingers. Oh, yeah, because that's real. Pretend- yeah. Uh-huh. I know. I mean, I do that, but like, that's, that's not pepper spray maze. But come on. Well, yeah. Like when I, I did, um, what did it, what was it called? LA term at, at APU. Um, and we took a self-defense class with the LAPD and they were like, get pepper spray. <laughs> yes, like absolutely. Yeah. Like they're telling us here. So I was shocked. And it's very know. effective. If everybody just decided to get bear mace instead of like, you know, yeah. guns in the U.S., we'd have much less of a death problem. Oh, I know. I know. And it's, it's just much me. more effective. And in my personal opinion, much more satisfying. Got to watch the person suffer. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so it's like, why countries consider certain things to be weapons, but others not? I don't understand. Sounds um, like London also, is run by men who don't want to be pepper laws. sprayed. Yeah, well, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> You're making the laws. Yeah. I did a presentation for, for work recently on Women's History Month. And I think I said, like, Oh gosh, what was it? I'm not going to give the exact fact, but something around 75% of world like lawmakers are men. Mm-hmm. So, well, no wonder we have <laughs> yeah, the fucking men. We have. Men. Just kidding. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, so yeah. <laughs> I mean, porn is such a big topic, right? Because especially if you're sex positive and you're all these yeah. things, it's like in relationships. I tell people all the time, you can lo- you can be sex positive and you can be porn positive and you can still not want porn in your relationship. Yeah. It could still make you uncomfortable for whatever reason, right? Like whether it's your own personal insecurities, it's the amount of time that your partner spends on porn, that I'm replacing sex with porn, blah, 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 blah. Like all these reasons, right? Like it's so nuanced and such a deep topic. And in the church, it's so avoided. It's just like all porn is porn addiction. All it's this huge extreme mm-hmm. where it's like you can I would even say like, yeah, maybe wait until you're cognitively like 
I would want to say desarrollado, but that's in Spanish. It's a cognitively developed, um, and or whatever, whatever, whatever. It's kind of like weed. I tell people, well, you should probably wait until your brain is fully developed and legal, or whatever, whatever, whatever. Yeah, yeah. And but having those honest conversations makes it less taboo and less appealing because it's the taboo that gets people in, right? It's this yeah. sneaky. It's the and then they get to blame it on the devil. Yeah. Because yeah. the church tells them to. But meanwhile, but th- their brain's already, you know, yeah. forming this addictive yeah. behavior. Yeah, when I was a youth group leader, I never told my kids not to watch porn. I taught them ways to ethically participate in sex if they wanted to. I told them that sex makes things complicated and that they should probably wait until they're in a safe relationship or whatever, whatever. But having those types of conversations would avoid all of this quote-unquote drama and all this trauma that is put on women because nobody's teaching men to adequately respect not only women but themselves right like there's this level of disrespecting yourself through addiction Mm -hmm. yeah and there's something so i was yeah doing research on like the effects religion have on your brain as a child like an adolescent um and you are stimulated in similar ways you go to churches where they have like the sweeping piano music while the the pastor's praying Mm, the emotional manipulation yes like you're it does sink in Mm -hmm. in a similar way that other stimulating sensation sensations have Mm -hmm. the difference between porn and church is that porn is both physical it's like physical, mental, and emotional. So mm-hmm. you are stimulating all of those senses. So it's like when I work out, I'm like, this is horrible. I hate it. But mm-hmm. I feel great afterwards because I am getting those endorphins. Yeah. And endorphins make you happy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, they haven't convinced me yet to keep working. <laughs> I know. But yeah, but my brain is not like, oh, this yeah. is amazing. I love yeah. it. But with porn, you're, you're, you're like, this is amazing. I love it. And this mm-hmm. feels amazing. Um, and so no wonder like when people become pastors and you know say they give up sex and stuff it's not stimulating enough where they feel like they're missing something and that's the physical part of things and yeah. so when their brain starts searching for that mm-hmm. um, well oftentimes they have these addictions anyways and then they enter into you know the church life thinking it will heal them but it's not going to yeah <laughs> no you should go to therapy please yes exactly, exactly. <laughs> that's what it's about yeah. it's like i understand that how this impacts your brain and i'm so sorry and like i can sympathize to a degree however you have a brain the same way i have a brain and unless there is some sort of developmental disability where you are not able to take responsibility for your actions Mm -hmm. you can take responsibility for your actions and you can get help and get therapy so that's why i just wish like the church taught about sex from a scientific perspective. Yep. Like imagine if they talked about what sex does to your brain. Mm-hmm. Like that would be so much more powerful than, oh, you shouldn't do it because the Bible says not to, and you won't be able to wear white on your wedding. Oh, I love this British. Mm. <laughs> also, spoiler alert, everybody, I just bought a wedding dress and it looks pretty white to me, and I am not a virgin. So <laughs> yeah, spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. You can wear whatever you want to your wedding. <laughs> I know, I know, but like, just, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I feel like we should do a part two where we talk about the science of the brain and addiction. Yes. Because <laughs> you sound like you know what you're talking about. And I can Google shit, you know, we could do a little researchy based episode. 
Yeah, that would be fun. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Well, friends, yeah. uh, look for that in the very near future. <laughs> oh my gosh, Bethany, it's been amazing talking to you. This, this has always been like a topic that I really wanted to talk about, but some people, you know, are really shy about it. So I'm glad that you came on and talked about your journey with it. Especially as somebody who isn't necessarily addicted, but so you were so deeply affected by it, right? Like, I can't even... I mean, you have been so brave in your life and you have been so, I'm, I'm very like inspired by your story, truthfully. Oh, oh shucks. Oh, shucks. <laughs> yes. I need to work on taking compliments, but <laughs> I don't want <sighs> me too. Oh my gosh. Well, uh, do you have anything to plug, um, your Instagram, a charity you like stuff like that? Um, let's see. No, I, I wish I was better on Instagram. Um, <laughs> Don't we all? I mean, you're welcome. You're welcome to request to follow me. I'm not public. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I guess I will hopefully be out in the LA area again soon. So I yeah, that, us cool people. <laughs> yeah, I got lots of good churches in the area you can yeah, like yeah. you can check out. Yeah, well, it would be it would be good to to get to know more of those places that, yeah, I think see things see see I see eye to eye on things with. Um, yeah, absolutely. Well, Bethany, it has been a pleasure. We'll get that next episode up eventually. <laughs> yeah, science. Yes. Uh, friends, well, you can find uh, Speaking in Church on Instagram at Speaking in Church. Uh, we're trying to get better on Instagram too, okay? It's hard. We don't know what we're doing. It's fine. It's hard. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, you can find me at Josie Takes the World. It's a mess. I post whatever I want because, frankly, I don't really care about my image. I recently posted a video of me crawling through an ancient sewage system and I'm like yelling because it's funny. And and I don't care about image. <laughs> uh, you can find Spencer and all the cute baby pics at Spence Rose. Um, and we are now accepting donations for diapers and formula via our Instagram <laughs> link. Um, it's called Grab Me a Coffee. It it, it really is going to be for diapers, though, because diapers and thing. formula are very expensive. <laughs> so we're trying to help Spencer out a little bit. So if you like the podcast and want to support feel free not required again this is free you know who cares whatever um yeah as spencer always says or well me first as what i always say <laughs> i just came back from vacation can everybody tell um as i always say stay woke or get woke and as spencer always says jesus loves you bye everybody This has been an irreverent media podcast.